Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Need Tips and Pearls podcast. So on today's episode, I want to talk to you about venothromboembolic disease. Um, so in our world with total knees, it's very common um, for patients to have the chance to develop a DVT, and this can be either proximal or distal. They may even develop a pulmonary embolus, and those pulmonary emboluses can be fatal. So luckily, I believe for our patients currently, um, and for all of those that are in training and new to orthopedics, your life has actually gotten a whole lot simpler. Um, because when total knee replacements were performed years ago, um, it was a longer surgery. It was a longer hospital stay. Um, it was commonly done with general anesthesia. And almost all of those patients at the time were put on warfarin. So from a residence intern's young doctor's perspective, you know, you had this long bloody surgery. Um, you put them on a drug that took days to kind of equilibrate. So you were doing your warfarin coumadin rounds and dosing people and, you know, occasionally you'd overdose them and then they'd bleed and then you had blood transfusions and you had wound drainage, which led to infection. So there's a whole lot of stuff that we constantly had to deal with, um, and luckily, all that's changed. So nowadays, um, most commonly, people are put on aspirin. And I am not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm not going to quote a lot of articles here. I really expect that you're doing that on your own, and you're looking and you're reading, and you're staying up to date. Because you know, in a month or two, there's going to be so many new articles that it's impossible for this to be accurate time-wise. But as of today... It's very common for most people to use aspirin. Um, but when we talk about treating patients, documenting in the chart, and educating patients, I always make the habit of not letting patients or not documenting in the chart know that you're low risk for a DVT. You know, we're doing a knee replacement. These patients do have a risk of a DVT. So I will quantify people as a normal risk or high risk. You know, I would not... And I try not to make the mistake of ever saying, oh, this person's at low risk for DVT because they're having a surgery and we know that there's a risk. And when you give patients the number of what's the percent chance of a DVT, um, proximal or distal or a PE, you know, just know your literature and have a couple articles that you'll quote from to say, yes, you know, the risk of DVT is X, Y, or Z. Um, but when you talk about DVT prophylaxis and telling people that you use aspirin, you just understand that, you know, when you look at chest guidelines, and if you don't know what chest guidelines are, you really need to go and pull chest guidelines and do not read the whole thing, but you need to read the orthopedic section specifically on, you know, fractures and surgeries, specifically joint replacement. Um, it is one of the most well-read kind of articles, journals, sections, and there's a lot of lawyers that read this um, because people do die of blood clots from hospitalizations and surgery. And there's very clear data um, that comes out every few years 
that discusses the ins and outs and grades the data and helps them determine what's there. So when you talk about using aspirin, just understand that, you know, aspirin does work on the platelets. And when you look at the physiology and biochemistry, you know, a lot of hematologists will tell you it doesn't really work on the venous side very well. But when we look at studies in orthopedics, you're also looking at surgeries that are shorter than they used to be, length of stays that are shorter than they used to be, either patients going home the day of or the day after. So they're ambulatory early. A lot of anesthesia has changed to noraxial anesthesia, which we know may decrease the chance of venothromboembolic disease. Many of these patients have calf squeezers or foot squeezers. So there's a mechanical device. So when you talk about DVT prevention or prophylaxis, really try to get in the habit of this person is on aspirin and early mobilization and noraxial anesthesia and compression devices. So there's a multimodal approach to preventing venothromboembolic disease today. Now, if you have a patient that is higher than normal risk, you need to have a good understanding based on the literature and have an algorithmic approach for yourself of why. So this patient is higher than risk, higher than normal risk because why? Have your list and have your reason. So maybe they have a clotting disorder. Maybe they have active cancer. Uh, maybe they're a heavy smoker. They're morbidly obese. Uh, there's a number of factors that may come into play And you have to have an algorithmic approach to know that based on this person's health history, this person is at a higher risk of developing a clot. And therefore, instead of aspirin and a multimodal treatment plan, such as early mobilization, early range of motion, noraxial anesthesia, compression devices, I am going to add, instead of aspirin, some other chemical, you know, whether or not it is warfarin or Eliquis or Xarelto or Lovenox, you know, there's a number of options out there. And I think most commonly, me included, um, we'll use one of the newer oral agents that does not require blood draws and monitoring, that does not require an injection. Um, However, some patients, based on their insurance, um, may not be able to pay for this one or it may not be covered. So you may have to make some modifications based on the particular individual or your institution or on their insurance plan. Um, But when you put that person on the blood thinner, you also then have to understand that what we used to see with those chemical agents and what you will still see with these chemical agents is this person will have a higher risk of bleeding, a higher risk of wound complications. So you have to be very cautious and cognizant to watch to see Are they developing post-operative anemia and is it causing symptoms and do they need a transfusion? Uh, Do they have significant swelling? Um, Do they have wound drainage? So those are all issues that you may not necessarily see just with an aspirin-based approach with other modalities, but when these chemicals get introduced, you're going to see these other issues. So if you're using certain medications that have side effects, um, you're going to have to watch things like their platelets and their hemoglobin and hematocrit more closely. But you may get to the point where they're bleeding and you want to stop it. So if you have a reason to hold the medication, you need to document the reason why. You know, because if they're bleeding excessively and you stop the chemical prophylaxis that you place them on because they were at a higher than normal risk of a PE or DVT, you need to document in the chart that I am stopping or holding this drug because... 
they are bleeding. The wound is draining. They are requiring a blood transfusion due to bleeding. And make sure that your reasons are stated very clearly in the medical record. So if they do develop a clot, nobody has to question what your thinking was as to why you stopped the drug. So if you write the order, make a note as to why you're stopping it. And then you may have to watch them. Because occasionally there's people that you have all good intentions of putting them on a chemical, but they're extremely sensitive to it and bleeding. And then you may have to surveil them, which is watching them either clinically or you may just do serial ultrasounds because the person is at higher than normal risk of developing a venothromboembolic disease in either their leg or their lung. Um, So when you're looking at patients, you know, I make... You should make the habit of let's break them into are they, are they or is this person and patient, are they at normal risk for venothromboembolic disease, number one? Number two, are they at higher risk? And if they're at lower risk, document and dictate and explain to the patient your plan for treating them is aspirin at the dose that you feel is appropriate. Um, make sure that they're also getting early range of motion, early ambulation. Add mechanical devices if you can while they're in the hospital. Some places will use them even at discharge. And then the issue of do you alter or modify your anesthesia? So that all gets encompassed in your treatment to decrease their risk of developing a DVT or PE. If the person is at higher than normal risk, document that they are at higher than normal risk and why and what agent you're going to place them on in addition, again, to those other non-medical modalities. And also specifically explain to the patient and document why, because of this drug, because they're, you're using it because they're at a high risk of a clot, what the other risks that may be associated with this drug could be, such as bleeding, wound complications, infections, blood transfusions. Um, and by doing all of this and having this algorithm and having this approach and being able to document you're clearly making a plan, you're clearly explaining to the patient, and you're clearly documenting why you're doing what you're doing for that particular individual. So definitely stay on top of things. Um, Follow the academy guidelines. Watch out as they do change. Um, However, I think we're in an era now where I think, you know, what we have is probably going to stay. And it's interesting, too, as we do different things, there's always good secondary gains. There was an interesting study, I believe it was in the JBGS British Journal, but what they looked at was strictly just MIs and their total joint patients in patients either receiving warfarin or aspirin. And what was interesting is that they had a lower incidence of MIs postoperatively in patients on aspirin for DVT prophylaxis. Why? Because it's antiplatelet. And patients that are of the age that can get arthritis and have surgery are also at the age where they may be at risk of developing NMI. Um, so sometimes there are some secondary benefits as well. And for a lot of the patients you meet, they may already be on aspirin. But this way you have a good algorithmic approach. And then again, if you haven't read or haven't even heard of um, the chest guidelines that come out about every three years, definitely look that up and go to the orthopedic section and definitely go through the hip and knee arthroplasty section and see what the recommendations are, how they graded them, what articles and studies that they use to come up with those consensus statements so you have a good, clear understanding of what those guidelines are, as well as what the academy guidelines are, because at times they agree and at times they disagree. So it's good to understand both sides and understand both arguments and both reasons for how they came to the conclusions that they came to. So thanks again for listening. Uh, If you have a friend, colleague, resident, fellow, student uh, that you think would benefit, please 
um, forward this information on so they can get access to the podcast. Um, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave a review. It helps other people find this podcast as well. And again, um, if you have other questions, um, shoot me a line, leave a comment, uh, shoot me an email. Uh, I will always try as best I can to respond to any question that you have, uh, but also if you have particular topics that I haven't covered yet um, that you would like to hear in future episodes, I'm always, I always look for those comments. I've heard some of those um, from some people that I know of, so you've heard some of those episodes recently, specifically on the hip side, uh, but there's lots of topics that we can cover, and I'm happy to kind of go into any details on any topic that you're interested in hearing. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.